It's Wednesday, the 26th of February, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, how did Portugal's flag carrier find itself in the middle of a diplomatic row between its home country and Venezuela? Plus, the death of Egypt's ousted president, Hosni Mubarak, and how the people of Hong Kong are going about their daily lives despite global panic over the coronavirus. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. Portugal's TAP Air is embroiled in a diplomatic row with Venezuela. Monocle's Carlota Rebello reports on what's sent tensions soaring. Portugal's flag carrier TAP Air Portugal has found itself in the middle of a diplomatic row between its home country and Venezuela. A week ago, Nicolas Maduro's government banned TAP from flying into Venezuela for the next three months, citing a breach of public trust. The row goes back to the beginning of February, when Venezuela's opposition leader Juan Guaidó was on a tour of European capitals and decided to fly with TAP for his return journey. Upon landing in Caracas, Guaidó's uncle was arrested for attempting to carry small explosives in what has been widely seen as a phony charge. This week, the Portuguese and Venezuelan foreign ministers met in Geneva to discuss a way forward, but they were not able to reach an immediate solution. One thing is evident, though. Guaido's choice of airline wasn't political. Up until now, the Star Alliance member was one of the last international airlines that hadn't cancelled this route, mainly due to the close relationship between the two nations and the large diaspora of Portuguese descendants in Venezuela. Maduro might have overplayed his hand here, as this decision will surely have a further negative impact on his country's economy. For Monocle, I'm Carlotta Rebello. The former Egyptian president Hosni Mubarak passed away yesterday at the age of 91. The dictator spent three decades in power before being forced out by a military coup in 2011. Monocle's Andrew Muller has this report. This is the beginning. We have to work hard for the implementation, for raising the standard of the people. Otherwise, the people will be hopeless. They will be turned over uh, with the terrorist groups and it will be a big mistake. Perhaps more than any other Middle Eastern strongman, Egypt's long-ruling military dictator Hosni Mubarak exemplified the squalid, pragmatic deal he and his kind made with the West. In an inversion of Franklin Roosevelt's celebrated assessment of Nicaraguan despot Anastasio Somoza Garcia, Mubarak's proposition to the democratic world was essentially, I may be a son of a bitch, but I'm your son of a bitch. The president is a full partner in the peace process. Without the United States, it would be very difficult to continue the peace process. So it is very important to have his influence, his uh, leadership, his activity towards that. The United States and Europe underwrote Mubarak's regime for 30 years, persuaded by his implicit proposition that while he may have been dreadful, what he was holding back was assuredly more so. We are not throwing ourselves in the hands of Americans or any other country all over the world. It must have been some consolation during his dotage in prison that events following his overthrow proved him correct. 
Hosni Mubarak was born on May 4, 1928, in Kafir el Masela. He entered the Egyptian Military Academy in Cairo straight out of high school. His subsequent career in the Air Force reflected the modernisation and the geostrategic rethinking that Egypt underwent during the 50s, 60s and 70s. Mubarak started out flying British-made propeller-powered Spitfires and ended as a pilot on Soviet-built Ilyushin and Tupolev jet bombers. He rose swiftly through the ranks, becoming Chief of Staff of the Air Force in 1969 and then Commander of the Air Force and Deputy Defence Minister in 1972. By 1975, Mubarak was near the pinnacle of the military-political complex that ran Egypt, appointed Vice President by Anwar Sadat. He ascended to the presidency after Sadat's assassination by Islamist militants during a military parade in Cairo in 1981. Mubarak was one of those injured in the same attack, far from the last time he would need to be lucky in the high-risk occupation of Middle Eastern head of state. He survived at least another six assassination attempts. Just after the airport, I left the airport, suddenly I found the blue van blocking the road, and somebody just flat on the ground, and machine gun stuff. For me it was shocking, what's that? Then I realized that there are bullets coming through in our car. It is an armored car. So I was not afraid at all that anything could come in. At home, Mubarak ruled brutally, repressing dissent by keeping Egypt in a perpetual state of martial law. Abroad, he proved a cunning diplomat, managing the precarious balancing trick of reclaiming Egypt's role as a leader of the Arab world, which had largely been lost under Sadat after the Camp David peace accords with Israel, while keeping the friendship of the United States and the wider West. Mubarak lived by Lord Palmerston's dictum that nations have no permanent friends or enemies, only permanent interests. Throughout the 1980s, Mubarak supported Iraq in its war against Iran. In 1991, he sent Egyptian troops to join the American-led campaign to evict Iraq from Kuwait. The most distinguishing features of Mubarak's rule at home were the most distinguishing features of all autocracies – incompetence, oppression, bureaucracy and corruption. Estimates of Mubarak's own personal wealth ran into billions more than would generally be considered appropriate reward for a career in public service. The Egyptian president, Hosni Mubarak, has finally stepped down and handed power to the military, according to the country's vice president. When he fell in early 2011, aged 82, forced from office by the early convulsions of what would become optimistically known as the Arab Spring, his demise was widely welcomed, even by those who wearily doubted that he would be succeeded by the secular, liberal democracy dreamt of by those who, at terrifying risk, protested against him. The fight between democracy and dictatorship. The generals who have always been talking about democracy, democracy, they are not democratic. They are democratorship. As legal retribution descended following his removal, Mubarak made the vainglorious pronouncements traditional in such circumstances of insisting that history would be his judge. If history fails to judge him principally as an unregenerate tyrant and a monstrous crook, it will only be because history has filed Hosni Mubarak amid his obvious peer group of modern Middle Eastern thugs and recalled that he wasn't as vicious as Saddam Hussein, as loopy as Muammar al-Gaddafi, or quite as ruthless when push came to shove as either Assad senior or junior. So don't expect that we'll have full democracy overnight. Needs generations. I'd like to tell you if you... The West, if he tries to push democracy in the countries, the third world countries who are not used to democracy at all, if you push it fast to reach 
the Western democracy, it may have a negative reaction. It may turn at the end to dictatorship. It's not much of an epitaph. Here lies a man who could probably just about have been worse. For Monocle, I'm Andrew Muller. As we heard on yesterday's programme, the coronavirus has brought much of Hong Kong to a standstill. But life and the economy must go on. The team at our bureau in Wan Chai sent us this dispatch. Spring arrived in Hong Kong over the weekend. The sun was out, the temperature was back above 20 Celsius and people were crowding the streets. A new Italian restaurant down the street was decorated with opening day flowers and inside, families were taking off their masks to tuck into brunch. Hong Kong is still in the middle of the coronavirus outbreak, but business and life does go on. Yes, everyone's taking sensible precautions, but the economy has not shut down, and there are always fresh opportunities just around the corner for those who take panicky headlines with a pinch of salt and ignore the latest internet rumours about condoms and coffins running out. Today's news will be full of reports about the government's latest budget and the Finance Secretary's billions of fresh relief measures. Huge sums of money will be doled out this year to hard-hit families and small business owners, and rightly so. Hong Kong has a gigantic rainy day fund. Right now these handouts will seem like small compensation, but this business-driven city will bounce back and its industrious residents will already be eyeing the recovery. Hearing from people who've experienced these kinds of downturns before can provide some useful perspective and a bit of inspiration. A veteran business owner explained recently how she moved to Hong Kong in the 1990s as an air stewardess and became her own boss during a three-year furlough from an American airline that had entered bankruptcy protection after September 11th. She never looked back and two decades later the business she built up survived SARS and it will outlive the coronavirus. My thanks to the team at our Hong Kong bureau. Elsewhere on today's agenda, a Chinese court has sentenced publisher Gui Minhai to 10 years in jail for illegally providing intelligence abroad. The Chinese-born Swedish citizen has been in and out of Chinese detention since 2015, when he went missing during a holiday in Thailand. He's known to have published books on the personal lives of Chinese Communist Party members. He was also the co-owner of a bookstore in Hong Kong, which supposedly sold publications critical of the country's political leadership. The European Union and the German government have spoken out against his detainment, as has the free speech advocacy group Penn International. And Aegean Airlines has revealed a suite of new branding and cabin interiors. Greece's flag carrier is celebrating its 20th anniversary with a clean new look featuring blue and white livery, an updated logo and updated seats upholstered in dark tones. The airline recently splashed out on a series of 46 new aircraft at a cost of about 3 billion US dollars. Read more about today's stories by subscribing to our daily email bulletin at our website. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Thursday. Thursday.